Good morning, church. If you're out in the hallway and you can hear my voice, it's time to come in. Um, happy Sunday, everyone. We're so glad that you are here. Um, if you're joining us online, thanks for tuning in. We're happy to have you. Um, it's a little gloomy this morning, but that's okay. And very chilly. He's not ready for that. <laughs> but um, if you guys want to stand up and join me in worship, that would be awesome. Also, I might need some help. I might lose my voice in the middle of this. Just keep singing. Don't worry about it. Sing really loud.
So I'd like to introduce two very, very special friends of ours, uh, Rick and Anita Gutierrez, and uh, they are missionaries serving with International Ministries in South Africa. Yes. <laughs> Yes, the, Rick knows all about the Michigan map, so you got the Africa map there. <laughs> we don't do the West Virginian one. <laughs> yes, definitely not. So uh, it's really great to, for those of you who don't know. Uh, years ago, two churches merged: Genesis and First Baptist Royal Oak. And First Baptist was was supporting the Gutierrezes back then, and we've continued that in the merger, and we support them regularly. Um, and it's great to have them here. So, uh, Rick and Anita are your doctors, right? And, and yet you don't work in hospitals very much. So what do you do? Well, what we do, well, first of all, we are serving in Ukraine about a week a year so we started that last year and and we're going again in early December and so we're actually doing real doctoring there as family doctors um, and and but in South Africa they've got a, a good medical system and the real challenge is educating people and also picking up their conditions like HIV blood high blood pressure diabetes um, in early stages because t people tend to present very late so uh, we've worked on uh, make developing training programs to teach people how to measure these conditions screen for them educate for them and then in, in the midst of of doing that we incorporate bible study as we have those relationships with people and for the leaders uh, that get very involved in helping us training others we try to set them up in small businesses such as um, fruit tree uh, propagation and um, also uh, raising chickens and we encourage people to have gardens yes so as you may notice uh, rick rick uh, has a sense of humor here <laughs> but uh, uh, what, what are the things that uh, are heavy in your heart as you as you uh, as you go there, and how how has God called you to touch some of those things? Well, heavy in our heart right now is South Africa has been in a kind of slow decline over the twenty years we've been there, and so there's a lot of just people were patient, hoping for a better life. They expected it when the transition happened in '94, and so people are just getting frustrated that. You know the skies aren't brightening and life's not getting better so there's just a lot of anger frustration crime i mean it's always been like that but it's just gotten worse so that's heavy on our heart and then the conflict right now in the middle east is going to have repercussions in south africa and you know it's going to make our ministry more challenging so little heaviness with that and our response of course is just god is with us when things are good or things are bad and we just have to share joys and sorrows and so when we have sorrows we have to be with people in their sorrows and just listen like Job's people didn't do you know we have to have the wisdom just to listen so we're going to be talking a lot about uh inclusion and the diversity of the body of Christ and one of the issues we're going to look at is gender and so so Anita I'd like to ask you as a woman physician missionary 
what are some of the challenges you face and what are some of the opportunities you face that have that Rick may not get? Well, I would say one challenge is that I don't feel safe to be driving in some of the areas alone. So, so I really, you know, feel more, much more comfortable if Rick is there. Um, Bring your PA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gorilla. I guess also as a, as a mom, it's, it's been a challenge to raise children in South Africa. That's added to special challenges, have them transition back to the United States and then be long distance in terms of our parenting. So that's been a challenge. Um, but at the same time, through all of the, these challenges, you know, the, the, this crime issues there and being a mom, it's drawn me closer to the Lord. And so I'm just more able to relate to people facing challenges moms facing challenges. Um, so I'm able to minister to other mothers and, and other women. And so it's, <laughs> yeah. And Anita's a great mom too. Those of you who've had great moms know what a great mom is. Yes. Thank you God for them. Amen, amen. Now we've got a few prayer warriors here, uh, some prayer teams. Um, and so as you, think about your ministry. Uh, you know, Moses was having a hard time during one of the battles and, and God has had two people hold up his hands. So as you're there, you know, we want to be holding up your hands. What should we pray for, for, for you all? Well, we're going to ask for grace and understanding as we return to our fifth term, I think this will be, that, that the people that we've grown close to, that the Lord will keep our relationships growing and also that we just deepen their trust and relationships that will allow for his light to flourish forth in a place that has a lot of frustration and a lot of just sadness. So, uh, Rick and Anita are from Michigan. In fact, they have a, a home in Kalamazoo and were uh, our members at First Baptist Church in Kalamazoo where Dave Nichols had been pastor. And so Dave Nichols was here uh, for a while and then uh, they moved out. And so there's a connection with us as well. Um, so we've got some kids uh, here and, um, and I'd, I'd like to know, how did your calling to be a missionary develop? If you could each answer that. Uh, uh, for how it developed for each of you. Yeah, brief answer for me. I was not raised as a Christian. When I was 18 years old, my goal was science for world peace. And then when I became a believer in Jesus Christ when I was 22, I still was wanting to be a scientist. And then I shifted into medicine. And then as I did that, I led a couple mission trips to Nicaragua. When I was in Nicaragua, I was sitting by... Um, a bean bush called, called not chickpeas, but anyway, sitting by some beans and just thinking like, you know, all the stuff that I do in America, I could be doing somewhere else and that would serve Jesus. And yeah, I'm praying for patience in America. I could be praying for patience somewhere else. Maybe we could train people, be a little bit more, you know, have a little more impact. And so that was for me opening my mind to missions. 
cross. I never knew any missionaries that was never an ideal. You know, it wasn't like heroes or anything like that, and they aren't. Yes, I. when Rick was thinking that way at that time, I was thinking, you know, I do definitely don't want to live overseas, and I was hoping that he would forget, you know, this. And uh, because I really, you know, at that point, my I really hadn't given my whole heart to the Lord. And so I kind of had my own ideas of how I wanted my life. And I also, I didn't understand why would someone want to do that such a difficult thing to leave and go to a poor country to, to work. And I really thought of it as, you know, you just be this drop in the ocean of the world's problems soon dissipated. But I, in 1999, we went to the World Mission Conference at Green Lake. And at that time, um, well, actually, back up 18 months before that, we had lost our third child at birth. And at that time, I had a dream, which I felt like was from the Lord. Then 18 months later at the Mission Conference, I had a vision that connected with that dream. So in my heart, you know, that, that just made me realize how real the Bible was, and, and I really committed my life to the Lord, put Jesus on the throne of my life, and I said to him, you know, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I'll, I'll do it, you know, with your help, and realizing that it is God doing it, and so that's, it was really that commitment to the Lord, giving my full life to the Lord that enabled me to hear that call, which I had been hearing, but really ignoring Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we talk a lot in this church about listening to the voice of God and God speaks to us. So, so in our church, we, we send missionaries and Rick and Anita are missionaries we're sending. And so um, as we send them to Ukraine and South Africa, uh, Rick and Anita, would you mind coming down here? And then if a few of you want to come and lay hands on them uh, as we send them back to their fifth term of mission work, uh, yeah, come stand right here. Come on up. Uh, any, you know, particularly uh, folks that are involved. Bonnie, yes, come on up. Bonnie's one of the leaders of our prayer team and an elder. And <laughs> Andy's a missionary <laughs> to the college uh, campuses. Okay, so we'll wait for Petey. Amen. Thank you, Petey. So Lord, we just thank you so much for Rick and Anita and for their calling and for their listening to your voice coming to them uh, as they were pursuing what was good, but you had something even greater. And uh, thank you for them stepping into that and for stepping into some of the struggles and sorrows of South Africa. And we pray for a special anointing upon them as they return and that they would continue to minister to people in the churches and communities to bring better health benefits to those who seek to serve you and as they seek to empower them with employment and also to empower them with the love and the grace that is, is yours and is shared with all people. Pray too that you'll be with them as they go to Ukraine and just join with them and others who seek to serve in that war-torn area, God, that uh, your healing would come. Through Jesus we pray, amen. amen. Thank you. Rick and Anita will be around after the service, so feel free to, to chat with them and uh, 
you know, meet them, share stories or whatever. God bless. We have one more song for announcements. So if you would join me um, and stand for this last song. Thank you.
Good morning and welcome to Genesis. Wanted to take a moment right now and release the kids. So if you're a kid, you know who you are. You can head out this middle aisle to people in green. All right. If you would take a moment and let us know that you're here, we have physical green cards that you can fill out. If you're online, you can go to our website, or perhaps you got a text message this morning, you can go to our digital green card. There's also uh, QR codes in the pew if you want to use the camera on your phone to do that. I don't know about you, but if I go to a restaurant and they don't hand me a menu, and they tell me to use my QR code, I hand my phone to one of my kids. So maybe I should have made that announcement before I released the kids. <laughs> At Genesis, we want to make space for people to belong. And one of the ways that we do that is through small groups. And our small groups meet throughout the week, usually in people's homes. And for this series that we're in, there's a small group component. And so if you're not connected to a small group and you'd like to be, there's signups in the lobby, or you can find links through all of our digital communication as well. On November 12th, we're going to have a training. Our brains are a beautiful but baffling wonder that God has created. We're going to look together following our service on the 12th at how ADHD and neurodivergence can be just another aspect of that beautiful design. So whether you're wondering for yourself or you're curious about your child or a partner, teaching or serving, this would be a helpful training for anyone by making small adjustments for neurodivergence, we will find that it actually helps everyone. So, come and be open to learning. Our speaker is Drew Yankee, and that is one E, not two. And we'll be ready for some fun discussion. There's gonna be lunch provided, and there will be childcare available. If you plan to attend, please let us know. There's registration through all of our digital communication and there's a $10 fee for this training. Anyone here new to Genesis? Just kidding, don't raise your hand, that's super awkward. But if you felt anxiety when I asked that question, this announcement is for you. Today we're having a meet and greet at Greg and Julia's house. Greg and Julia, would you stand up? They're kind, they look normal. But also, Bo and I will be there, so that tips the scales. But if you're new to Genesis and you'd like to be a part of that meet and greet, that's from 5 to 7 today. If you haven't received communication about it, uh, feel free to approach me or approach Greg and Julia, and we'd love to give you the information for today. 
Now, if you would take a moment, stand up, stretch, say hi to somebody around you, and then we'll move forward with the rest of our service.
undisputed. <clears throat> Good morning. <clears throat> Welcome. So glad you're here. We are we're calling this a conversation. It won't feel like a conversation right now, but we want to invite you into a conversation with others. If that means with just some people in your household, if that means with just some friends around a table, if that means in a group, uh, we know that here in two weeks we'll have a conversation as a part of our Sunday gathering on our second Sunday, but it's a conversation. And the conversation is one about inclusivity. And so we titled this series, All Inclusive. And what we've said about this conversation, because this is one of the things that we have said about ourselves. And when we say that about ourselves, we don't fully know what that means. And so we ask you to help us discern, well, what does that mean? Give us language to determine for us what this means as the Spirit of God continues to invite us and to extend His love and His care and His concern. So it's a conversation. We welcome you into it, and we want to be a part of it. A couple of things as we engage this conversation. We set up some ground rules last week. You can look at those again. But two other things that we said that were going to be crucial. One, that we're going to move slow. And two, we're going to make the space safe. And so that is our hope again this morning. Now, it may not feel slow enough, and for that point, I apologize. And so may God have mercy as we try to grasp what the Spirit of God is saying to us. Uh, one other note, as, as um, Dan mentioned, Dave Nichols, who was a beloved pastor of ours, who pastored some of us here. Dave retired, and him and Linnea live uh, on the west side of the state. And we announced, I don't know, about six weeks ago that, that Dave had entered the the a progressive stage of dementia or Alzheimer's. And Dave is on hospice currently. It has moved incredibly fast. And it has been incredibly sad. And so Dave is in a wheelchair and his life is coming to an end. More quick than any of us would have wanted. So I just want you to know that if you haven't had the chance, you want to see Dave, make the effort and go see him and Linnea and spend some time with them. I, I hope to be able to do so. Maybe Nate and I will bust over that. I want to see him and sit with him. Um, but if you don't know them, we just invite you to continue to pray for them both, for Linnea and their family. As they navigate something that is um, unbearable, right? And so, Lord God, have mercy on their family as they may not have any answers to what is going on around them. Jesus, come near. You are our refuge and our rock, and you are theirs. Lord Jesus, come near. And as we, Lord, gather as a people today, and the people here are filled with all sorts of 
hardship or complications or struggles and the gamut of everything probably listed is here. Oh, Lord Jesus, come and meet us with your presence that we might respond to the living God. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Dallas Willard, who is a thinker, a Christian, a teacher, you may know him, you may not, but he, he had passed away about five years ago. I believe he taught philosophy at USC. And he said, the aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons, with God included in that community as its prime sustainer, and most glorious inhabitant. So, seems like a philosophical sentence, doesn't it? Except that God was looking, the aim of God, this is a, a sentence that I dare anyone of you to write, what was God's aim in history? <laughs> so he takes a swing, and he says, it's the creation of an all-inclusive community with God at the center and sustaining it all. Loving persons being the adjective to describe them. If we look back at history, you may struggle to see that arc of an all-inclusive community. But we want to sit today and relook at some of these stories of the move of the Spirit of God to do just that, to create an all-inclusive community with God at the center of it. We shared last week, just real briefly, setting up the general idea of this teaching, that if we are looking for a verse in the Bible to exclude someone, you can find it. And if you wanted me to find a verse, we could find, I could find a verse in the Bible that would exclude you, or at least that would have the sense that you would be excluded from the people of God. So we have to read it differently than just finding verses. Shane Willard, who is a teacher who's going to be joining us in May, who's going to be joining us on May the 22nd, I think it's a Tuesday in May, he talks about the way to read the Bible. It's not flat, meaning that it's just all of the verses are communicating the same thing at the same time. He uses this language and says, the Bible is not a static revelation of God. The Bible is a dynamic, progressive, moving revelation because it unfolds over history of this revelation of God, of what people thought God was leading to, to the final revelation of God, the risen Christ. That's what God was leading to, the ultimate revelation of God found in Jesus. And Shane goes on to say, says that although God does not change, the more people understood about God, the closer he got, like more proximity, and the nicer he got. And not only that, he said over time, what people thought about God changed. And all got written in this book, this library of books called the Bible. And so in this library of books called the Bible, that's what we'll be looking at today, a story. Now, as I begin this today, um, the attempt is not to change your beliefs. It's not my attempt but we all want to adjust our posture to be learners. The Holy Spirit can change your beliefs. 
can change your thinking, can, can reveal truth. But in order for that to happen, we must adjust our posture to have a learning posture. We might even say an inclusive learning posture to be able to learn from the Spirit of God and from others. So with that in mind, as I teach today, this is not a chess match. You know, a chess match would be that all of a sudden you're having a conversation and people are moving the pieces around a table in order to trap the other one so they have no more further moves until you say, checkmate, and then they're done, you've cornered them and the game's over. This is not a chess match. Number one, I am terrible at chess. You would annihilate me. Um, and number two, even greater than that, I am in the even worse Holy Spirit, who is the revealer of all truth. The Holy Spirit is what guides us into truth. As Jesus said, I'll give you the Spirit, and the Spirit will teach you. You will not have another rabbi but me. And so we incline our ear with that today. Last week, we encouraged each other with this response, not an answer to all of our questions. And this was a response that Paul was giving in Romans, and he said, as Christ has accepted you, accept one another. That statement in Romans 15 is not an answer to every theological question we have. It's a response to how Jesus has accepted us. And says, oh, respond to me accepting you. And how do you do that? Oh, by accepting one another. And so we said, oh, let's, let, could we have a posture toward this? Could we have a response to Jesus' acceptance of us? And so today, I want to look at a story where Peter, an early disciple of Jesus, um, for for many might say, one of the most intimate disciples of Jesus, where we get to, we get the snapshot, number one, of Peter learning, of Peter engaging, of Peter responding to Jesus, of, of God getting Peter's attention, where Peter all of a sudden is learning right in front of everybody, and then the shape and the texture and the breadth and the width of God's love is expanded exponentially. And so this story is found in Acts chapter 10. It is retold in its entirety in Acts chapter 11. And then it is argued and debated about in Acts 15. And then if you read through all any of the other letters, you're going to see this story coming up again and again and again. Now, many of you, you know, I don't know, like, you're like, oh, I may not, you may not have heard this story before. And that is okay. But this is an awesome story. It's a story in the life of the church. It's a story that happened 10 years after Jesus had been, had been betrayed by his disciples, uh, 13 years after he started his ministry and had all these disciples and were calling people to himself, but 10 years after Jesus had risen from the dead and given his disciples his instructions, go make disciples. Love as I have loved you, the kind of self-giving love that Anita talked about today. When she said, why, how in the world would I go to another place? I'd just be a drop in an endless sea. What would that, what would that bring through me offering up my love to places in need? 
You know, it's only Jesus who can speak to that, who actually demonstrated that same thing, and that's what she's doing too. The story is found 10 years into what we would say would be the culminating arc of history was the resurrection of Jesus. But it's still unfolding in the story. So that's where we find ourselves in this story. And so as I read it, um, let me give a couple of insights as we read the scriptures. Many people have said that when we're reading the scriptures, we're interpreting the scriptures with a lens with the words of Jesus in our minds, meaning that Jesus helps us to interpret everything. So when we look over the pages of this library of books that were written down for us, Jesus is our interpretive lens that we take with us into every story. Meaning that the death and the resurrection of Jesus changes every story. Jesus himself took the early disciples through those stories and walked with them to show where he was seen through these stories. Many Christians have read the book in that way, that scripture is to be interpreted through the lenses of the message of Jesus. We put on these Jesus-shaped glasses when we read these stories. And we're going to see Peter do this. Not when he's reading the stories, but when he's experiencing the story. A couple authors, Emily Swan and Ken Wilson, in the book Soulless Jesus, not soulless, but soulless, meaning like um, Jesus only, right? Like Jesus is the focus. They say that, yes, scriptures can be interpreted through the lens of Jesus, but Jesus also stands over and above these texts and is present with us and in us. Not simply through the scripture, but by his own personal agency. And that's what this story is about. We're going to read in Acts 10, even though it's a part of our scripture today. That Jesus is present to us now as a rabbi would have been present to his disciples in the period of the apostolic writings. We have a rabbi who is with us, able to teach and guide us, and is part of a larger whole of that leadership function. We have a rabbi who's with us. They say in their book that if looking back on the story, of the arc of the story, if we, if we have a vantage point of real further back, we can look at that story and say, oh yeah, it was inclusive. But at the time that we find ourselves in this story of Acts 10, they did not see the arc of an inclusive God. They saw the arc of an exclusive God to the Jewish people. So at this time, the scripture and tradition pointed away from Gentile inclusion. And the only evidence, as we're going to hear from this story, that Peter, Barnabas, and Paul, they provide when they have this big talk that we're going to talk about, this big council, of the, the only evidence they provided these elders of this grafting in of these people who are not Jewish into the family of, Ever, of Abraham was the evidence of their faith and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we want to look at today. Are you ready for that? This is an Acts 10. And uh, it's the whole chapter, and so I'm going to tell you the story. And I'll pull back and read you some of it. It's a story that was told. You can read it in different forms. I want to encourage you, too, that if you're interested in reading things, there's a First Nations version of the Bible, of the New Testament. And if you're interested in reading that story in this version, it's really cool because First Nations people are, have, are an oral people. They're masterful storytellers. And if you want to get pulled back into a story, 
read that version, it's beautiful and fun, and the names of people are translated beautifully, and you can see the arc of the story. But this story takes place 10 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Cornelius, who is a Roman soldier of the Italian cohort, is praying. And as he's praying, an angel comes to him and gives him instructions saying, Cornelius, we've seen you. We've seen how you give to the poor. You fear God. God's heard your prayers. Send for Peter. For Peter, he's in Joppa right now at the house of Tanner. He's at the certain house. Send for him and have him come to you. So Cornelius grabs three trustworthy friends and sends them to get Peter. It's a three days journey or so. They go on this journey. Three days later, Peter is praying. He's been fasting and he's found himself on a roof, a flat roof, and he's hungry. And he begins to fast, and it goes into a trance, a vision. Anita talked about God getting her attention through visions in a trance. And this is what happens. Peter is there, and all of a sudden, he's in this trance, and all of a sudden, he sees this like sheep being lowered down, and all these animals on it, all kinds of animals, things that fly, and lizards, and things that crawl, and things with hoofs. And to Peter, a number of these things were animals that were unclean for a Jew to eat. And the voice that comes in his vision says this, kill and eat, Peter. And Peter's like, no way, you know, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a Jew who's never eaten anything unclean. Our Torah says these are, these are unclean things. The instruction has told us what to eat, what's unclean. We don't eat that. I have never eaten that. And the voice says, what I call clean, don't call unclean. That vision comes three times to Peter, again and again and again. And all of a sudden, at the third time that Peter has this vision, these three men arrive, and the Spirit whispers to Peter, don't hesitate to go with them. Three people have come looking for you. Go with them. So Peter's like, okay. The three people arrive. They say, we're calling for Peter. And so they spend the night and they go on their three-day journey back to Caesarea as Peter is going to go with these people to something that God is doing. So here's something. So Peter then shows up in Caesarea. He's there with them and he begins to make this statement to the people where he arrives. He arrives at this man's house, Cornelius. And Cornelius says, hey, they're coming. And what has Cornelius done? He's invited everyone he knows, his entire family, and everyone and says, let's gather for this because something interesting is going to happen. Peter and their friends show up in the next 10. And as he arrives, he says this to them. You're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, meaning we can't go into your house and eat with you because the things that you're going to eat are going to be unclean and non-kosher. So we can't even do this. You're well aware of this. And then here's Peter making the statement. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. So how interesting, right? Here's Peter. He had this vision three times. Don't call anything impure and clean. Three guys show up, say, hey, we want Peter to come to this, to this Gentile's house, which just means non-Jew. And he says, here's what God has shown me. God showed me this. 
don't call them unclean. Now, so, so here's the thing. Peter could have seen that moment as three different things. He could have seen it as temptation, right? So here's Peter who's never eaten anything unclean. He hasn't eaten. He's fasting. He's hungry. All of a sudden, these things that are unclean are being lowered down before him. Here, here's a voice saying, hey, Peter, you see that pig right there? That makes some really good bacon. You've never had a BLT. Kill it and eat. Peter would have said, hell no, I've never done that, right? This is temptation away from me, Satan. So, but no, it's not temptation. Nor is it testing. God is not testing him. God is teaching him. It's like, gosh, couldn't we have interpreted it in all of those ways? But yet, Peter is responding to the Spirit of God and him teaching him. So he responds, he goes, and then Peter's like, okay, I'm here. God's teaching me. God's told me this. Why did you call for me? Well, Cornelius then tells him the story. Well, I was here. An angel appeared to me three days ago, or six days ago, I guess now, because I sent my friends, and you came back with them. And so we've done this. The angel said, call for you. We called for you. And we're here to hear what God has told you to tell us. Well, at this point, God hadn't told him to tell him anything. God said, just go. And so all of a sudden, Cornelius said, hey, we're here. Share what God has given you. And Peter's like, okay. And then he makes the statement to that. Well, Cornelius in verse 33, in verse 33, here's what Cornelius says. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now that we're all here in the presence of God to listen to, now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And I'm sure Peter's like, oh, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to tell you. So then began, Peter began to speak, and he's being taught again. And here's what Peter says, I now realize. He's being taught of the Spirit in this moment, right in the moment actively engaged, responding. I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what's right. I now know this. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all? And then Peter begins to tell him the story of Jesus, his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection. He begins to tell it, and he doesn't get to finish it. He doesn't share all the points. He doesn't share all the details. He doesn't share all the facts. Peter is interrupted by the Spirit of God. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, I wonder, I don't know if the Lord was just like, that's enough. <laughs> we don't need your words. I'm teaching you. I'm showing you and Cornelius and everyone a more beautiful story. While he was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that means they were Jews, right? Because Jewish people were circumcised on the eighth day and 
if you weren't Jewish, you weren't circumcised on the eighth day, right? It's pretty unnecessary and brutal. The uncircumcised, uncircumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished, astonished, that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. They were astonished. And Peter said, surely we can't stand in their way of being baptized. And so they baptized them. What what Peter's going to realize, so if you go into Acts 11, the next chapter, immediately after everybody, this story spreads. People hear about it, and they begin to criticize Peter. The Christians, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, and they're like, why in the world did you, it was criticism. Why did you eat? Why'd you go with them? This is against our tribal law. Why'd you go and socialize with them? And then Peter in Acts 11 tells the story. In Acts 11, it just doesn't say, and then Peter told them the story of what just happened. No, the writers of Acts say, we need to tell this whole story again. Why? Why why was it so important to tell the whole story in every detail? Because this is crucial to the arc of God's love in the world. And so the whole story is written down again. And then again, Peter is making this statement at the end. But no one being willing. So he says, as he, in Acts 15, he adds this little bit of context for them. And he rephrases the statement a bit more. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them. This is in Acts eleven fifteen. As he had come on us in the beginning, you can read about that story in Acts 2, and the Holy Spirit fell on these early disciples of Jesus in Jerusalem, 50 days after Jesus had been crucified. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. You see what's happening here? He's saying, oh, when this happened, I remembered what Jesus had said. So then who, uh, Jesus said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to remind you of everything I've said. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who's going to teach you and guide you. What is Peter here doing? He's remembering what Jesus had said. John will baptize with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what I remember Jesus said. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This wasn't settled here. This is, this is not, if you, if you know the stories of the Bible, this isn't anywhere close to being settled. 
This isn't close to being resolved. They're not going to even find a place where there's going to be extreme unity on this. They're going to wrestle, and they're going to debate, and they're going to talk, and they're going to move on this. But God is the one who's wanting to show them what God is doing through the move of the Spirit. And, and Jesus is reminding Peter, is saying, Here, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to pour out my spirit. So Jesus said the same thing. It's astonishing. So, okay, when the, when the spirit falls on them, this is not a science experiment. As, you know, Rick loves science, right? And he is amazing at animal noises as well. So we heard that. This is not a science experiment as if we're like, oh, look what happened when the Spirit did. Now we know. No, no. It is God making his home in people. It's, it's not this like marker of like, oh, here's the proof. It's way more than this. God is making a statement that should shock every living person. Where does God make his home? Where does God abide? Jesus said this. This is what the God's going to do. He's going to make his home in you. What does that say about God? What does it say about God that he would want and be willing to make his home in you? Right, that, that of how? And then Peter's like saying, and anyone whom God makes his, his home in, who am I to hinder? This doesn't mean that it answers every question. Every theological question, every wrestle, it does not. But it is a response. And it's a response to people whom God is taking residence in out of his love. How do we respond to a God who takes residence among people? Carmel was sharing this with me. And she was sharing this process about God taking residence in different people. And so Carmel struggles with chronic illness. And a chronic illness that's, that's really sucks the mobility and the production and of all the stuff of doing out of her for this season. And sometimes we measure people by what they do. Sometimes. <laughs> Majority of the time, we say, oh, wow, look what you do for God. Or look what you do for people. Or look at all the things you're doing. And yet, God makes us residence in people who are very, very, at seasons, if not all their life, limited in their doing. God doesn't, God doesn't care about their doing. It's about God making his residence within us. And that question that we all must ask in that is, what does that tell us about God who makes his residence, who reveals himself in some of the places that we might find really uncomfortable, like chronic illness or people struggling with disease or even Dave Nichols right now, who seems to be losing everything but yet God still resides in him. Who, and it's like, what does that tell us about God? I don't have the answer to that, but it tells us a lot about who our God is. What does it tell you about the God who takes residence in you? Knowing you fully in the, in the vast expanse of all people 
it reveals to us something utterly beautiful, something utterly good, something otherworldly. If God would come that close and say, find your life, I, I, I will make my home in you. This whole story in Acts 10 was somebody who had these, uh, these regulations, these, these, these things passed down as far as how you remain clean, and they say, don't eat with them. Don't eat that. Don't go there. And yet, here's God who says, not only am I willing to eat with you, I'm willing to make my home inside of you. Does, does God, does that seem to hinder God in any way? Does God seem to have any resistance? Does God seem to have any hesitation to breathe into all these people here and make us home there? None. Zero. Does that answer all of your questions? No, it answers none of them. And so I invite you to wrestle. It doesn't answer questions. We're not here to answer all of our questions. It's to, it's, it's, and have your questions. Ask them, ask them, and ask them. But we're here to respond. Responding to the Spirit of God is very different than having every question that we don't know the answer to answered. We want to respond to the Spirit. And this is what we see Peter do. And Paul and Barnabas. This was hard. So they do this, they respond, they say this, um, and there's more conflict. Ten years after this, there's a council, and, and there's some people who are saying, no, nope, not good enough, not good enough. They got the spirit in them, not good enough. That's not enough evidence. They need to be circumcised. This is creating political conflict among them because the Jews were given, were given certain exemptions from certain Roman practices because they were Jewish. And now these Gentiles were asking for the same Jewish exemptions from these Roman practices, and it was creating conflict because they were clearly not Jewish. And so it says, no, if you want to be saved, if you want to, you want to fully be among the people, you've got to do more than be inhabited by the Spirit of God. You need to be circumcised. You need to obey the laws of Torah. You need to, you need to follow all these instructions. And so, 10 years after this, after all this had happened, they get into a massive conversation. Argument? Debate? But it was a conversation it's found in Acts 15. And so this was not an easy matter. They told the story. They told the story of the Holy Spirit coming. They told the evidence they saw in people receiving the Spirit of God. And they said, Peter has this speech that he gives, and then James as well. Here's Acts 15. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. How then? Why do you try to test God? by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke, um, a burden. Why, why are you trying to burden these people? A yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it's through grace in our Lord Jesus Christ that we're saved, just as they are. 
So here's Peter. He's had this experience. He's fighting for this. He's wrestling. They're debating. They're telling the story. He's trying to be taught by the Spirit of God, which is the Spirit of Jesus, guiding them into truth. But he still struggles. This is not one. This is not even fully lived out. This is like, oh, it's settled. Here's all this. Even Peter is struggling with this. And in Galatians 2, there's this moment that we have in the book, too, of this history of people that says this, that all of a sudden, here's Peter. He's hanging out with some people who aren't Jewish. He's having a good time. He's eating with them. He's having table fellowship with them, meaning that he's welcoming them. All is good. But then all of a sudden, some Jewish people who are doing everything kosher, proper, and right, they show up. And all of a sudden, Peter's like, oh, I, I better better not eat with them anymore because it, it's giving the wrong impression. What, what impression is that giving? So he, so he removes himself and will no longer associate with them. This is the person whom God taught with the visions. He was sent to Cornelius' house, had the Holy Spirit come upon them, heard all these things, right? So this, this is the person. This is saying just because he's been taught doesn't mean he's fully learned it yet. And so... He removes himself, and then some other people, some Jewish brothers, he says they do the same thing. And then Paul steps in and says, oh, I confronted him right to his face and said, you hypocrite, what are you doing? You can read that next in Galatians chapter 2. This doesn't make everything easy or every question they have answered. What they're doing is they're responding to the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, You all know the famous verse, John 3, 16? Uh, I was reading somebody, and I can't remember who it was, but they were saying, oh, I wish, you kind of wonder if Luke was kind of bummed too that Luke three sixteen didn't get memorized as well. But maybe you should. Here's Luke three sixteen. John is John the Baptist, right, who foretold of the Messiah, who pointed it out, who told everyone, said no one who has been born was greater than John. So Jesus said, he said more about that too, but here's six, John 3, 16. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is the promise. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a science experiment. It's an abiding of God, of the presence of God in us, of God making his home in us. It's not an individual affair, even though it is in you. It's a community affair meaning that God is pouring his spirit among a people so that together with the aid of the teacher of the spirit in us, we can teach each other and help each other, walk with each other and discern from our rabbi Jesus who is in us and close to us. Jesus himself in John 14 said this, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home in them. 
Jesus said, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is still the work of Jesus today. I will come to them and we, or we will come to them and we'll make our home in them. This is the promise. And Peter, in response to this, said, if this is what God is doing in me and in them, who am I to get in God's way? So this is where we want to go for the discussion. Who are we to get in God's way? Could we be a people whom the Spirit of God could get our attention because Jesus is in us and help us to see and, be, and to be taught not to answer every question, but a way to speak to us that we could respond to Jesus who is in us, guiding us and directing us? God is at home in us. He does not keep his distance. Thank you, God. When I was asking the Lord, because again, my whole hope as we go through this was not to have an agenda to like have a chess match. So I was like, Lord, what do you, what do you want? What do you want us to know? And immediately as I asked, that was what I heard. I don't keep my distance. I make my home in you and them. This is the beauty of the hospitality and the beauty of our God. It's the one that potentially you have experienced, God making his dwelling in you, coming near to you, not resisting it in any way of saying, I dwell among people. So Father, by your spirit, would you continue to make yourself known around us? Would you continue to show us the arc of your movement that all might know you? Knowing your inclusion, your embrace, your healing, your forgiveness, your overabundance, your life that you give to us through Jesus. Would you guide us into conversation? Would, would you remind us of what Jesus has said? We'll be able to hear from you today and respond to you. Amen. Next week, we're going to talk about Acts chapter 6. It's going to be about, the, about privilege and power. So we've, we've switched up our plan a little bit in order to move a little bit slower. But that's where we're going to go next week. And then the fourth week, I don't know what we're doing yet because it's a discussion week. So we felt like we might want to go slower and just give us all a chance to really kind of process on that fourth week together. So that's what we were sensing because it's kind of unfolding with you, us together. So let the Spirit of God reveal and teach us together. We're going to take communion. And so um, could I have four people who'd be willing to help pass the communion through some rows. I need four. I see some, oh, I see some people moving fast, the servants of the Lord. I see three, four. All right.
Thank you. Um, and so, hold on, servants, before you pass. Let's, let's hold up. And so I'm going to send two of you. Um, so, Bill, you go on that end. Dan, you go on this end. Bev, you go there in the back on, 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 on this side. And then if you want to go right here in the, in the back on this side, too, we'll take this part here, Ed. You've got the, the back. For a moment, I'm like, I forgot your name. And I was like, oh, crap. I can't remember Ed's name. I know Ed so well, and I forgot your name. What's that? Oh, thank you. Okay, so, but before we distribute them, um, I want us to practice communion, even though it's the little wafer and the juice. And if you're with us next week, we're going to take communion around a meal, which is a totally different experience, right? A different expression of that. So, but before we pass it in there, there, um, I, a friend of mine, Father Ken Tanner, we were, I was trying to, to create a catechism class for our kids and have, at this moment, completely failed. But um, he was like, you should read these books. And one of them is this book called by uh, Rowan Williams called Being Christian. And, and, and Rowan was the 104th Archbishop of Canterbury. I don't even know what that means. Like, I don't, but it's like, oh, wow, you know. <laughs> um, but he writes about the Eucharist. And I read it. And my heart leapt. Right? And, and I remember reading it, and I was just like, oh, that's good. It's good. Sometimes we read these things, and we're so hung up on doing them right that we miss out on what it means in the inclusion of it. Right? We're like, no, you got to get this right, or God's mad at you, or something. I tell you what, I have been in this church, I have been a part of the church for 23 years, and there's nothing more intimidating than me asking any person to lead communion. I've had more older elders say no. I've had, right, in my, in my tenure of people saying, no, oh, we, no, we, 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 we can't do that. Right? That somehow the fear of, of, of these things, of doing it wrong, has captured our hearts. It's so weird. Right? It's a misreadings of things. When Jesus had this table that he offered even to people who betrayed him, we were afraid of, of offering this to each other. But one of the things that Rowan talked about that I've grabbed onto, and, and for that, since that season, we've been doing it weekly. You've probably noticed. Maybe you're annoyed. I don't care. <laughs> Somehow I get to make that decision. <laughs> no, I, 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 but I think it's important because it's, it's, it's physical. And what Roman said that, that met me, in my, that just met me in this, in this, in this moment of something physical, he said, in this, and this is this beautiful statement of bread and wine being offered to us is, is, is Jesus offering to us himself and saying, I welcome you and I want your company. That, those words reverberate into my soul. The, those are the words I continue to hear again and again what Jesus has taught me that I haven't fully learned. <laughs> I welcome you. And I want your company. Those are words I have to learn again and again and again and again. That's why I love this practice of being centered on the self-giving love of Jesus. One life, one drop of water in the, in the sea of Jesus who said, oh, this death will bring life to all. This will give life to everyone. I welcome you and I want your company. That's what we do when we do this. And so... When that, when that dish passes with those little elements in it and you give it to the next person, 
I want you to say that phrase to them. I, God welcomes you and wants your company. And church, we're not going to have any music or any worship playing as this goes, but I just want you to sit there and just listen to the voices. Because you're going to hear four different people from the four corners of this world until they meet in the middle, saying the same thing with a different voice. God welcomes you and wants your company. And so, so as that plate comes to you, let those words meet you. Take that little cup, say those words to the person next to you, and pass it on. And then we'll take this together. Sound good? Okay. Oh, let's eat and drink together. By your eating and drinking, you say, yes, I welcome you. And so, Father, thank you for your body and your blood. Thank you for you residing and coming nearer and loving us and making your home in us. We breathe you in and welcome all of you because you are our life. Amen. So eat the wafer and drink the cup. Before you go, we have one more act of worship. 
to do. Andrew Meeker. Tuesday is one of his favorite days. And he has come as an embodiment of Jesus himself to celebrate and feast with us today and to sing for us Monster Mash. So Andrew, let me give you room. So may you celebrate with Andrew and us today to Monster Mash. Uh, for those of you, for Halloween, tomorrow is All Hallows Eve or All Saints Day. If there's people that you have lost, and so I think of Foster, Bev, I think of Bill. I, I think of those who we've lost and who are no longer with us. Remember those who have gone, those clouds of witnesses that are around us. They fought the good fight. Jesus made their home in them, and they are at home with Jesus. So we rejoice in that. So tomorrow, may you remember those who have passed, who have gone before us, thanking God for them and their witness. But, and then after that, may you give candy and celebrate. But hey, well, worship with, Andy, with, with Andrew to Monster Mash, and then as that song goes, you can go. It's working. Come on, Tony. Let's not come here. One night, me, I'm here. And then, my favorite, my to my, it's me. My device, my mask. I think not last night. I'm out, Yeah, last night.